Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show, the home of happy parents and healthy teens on American Family Radio. Here's your host, Dr. Jessica Peck. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jessica Peck, professor, pediatric nurse practitioner, and mom of four. Today, we have a tender topic for you. We're going to be talking about something that may be a little harder for some of you than for others. We are going to talk about grief today and grieving and how to sit with someone while they're grieving. Now, if you're thinking, okay, wait, I'm not grieving anything. This episode is not for me. Hold on, don't turn it off just yet because you either have grieved something or you are helping someone else on their own grief journey. So I've got an amazing guest for you today. I've got Natasha Smith. Natasha is a grief advocate. Natasha, by the way, that's the first time that I had heard that term. So I'm really excited to dive into that and talk about it. She's an author, a speaker, a podcaster, a content creative. And through her own grief experiences, she has a heart for the hurting, the grieving for those experiencing and facing hard times in life. She's a North Carolina native, and she is a mom of four, just like me. So we're both in the in the mom club of four kids, but she homeschools. So she's, she's braver than me, I think, in that way. And she's the author of Can You Just Sit With Me? Healthy Grieving for the Losses of Life among many other blogs and devotionals. So Natasha, thank you so much for joining us here today on the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast. Yes, thank you so much, Jessica. I'm so excited to just sit with you today and chat with you about this. Well, let's start by just tell us a little bit about your family and your life and just tell us a little bit of who you are. Yeah. So as you mentioned, I'm a mom of four, um, married, and we live here in North Carolina. Um, I homeschool, but at the moment, I'm only homeschooling the littles, like the two youngest. And so um, we kind of decided when um, we got on this homeschool journey that I'll homeschool through middle school. (laughs) And then um, when the kids reached uh, high school, then they would um, just be able to have a great great foundation um, to, to spread their wings a little in high school. And I wouldn't have to worry about like transcript and all those things for college. (laughs) That sounds like me. You know, I'm married to a rocket scientist, actually, which my kids remind me all the time of my work because it's not rocket science. You know, mom, that's what they'll tell me. And I'm so glad that I don't have to help them with physics, which would honestly, maybe it's inappropriate, but that would, that really made me grieve a few times just thinking about, I don't think I can. I don't think I can do physics homework, but Natasha, you have experienced a lot of real grief in your life. And I want to read to you um, something that I actually read on your bio, which really grabbed my heart and my attention. You said, I've experienced God's love, sovereignty, power, healing, peace, and love in my life. Thus, I love sharing God's goodness with others. For those who are hurting, there is hope. Because hope's name is Jesus. And all I share my heart for you is to see Jesus, to see his heart, love, care, and concern for you, especially in grief, to experience his hope, even in pain, suffering, and hard times and grief. And I pray that you will know that you are not alone. I am sitting with you and God is sitting with us. I don't know about you if you're listening, but I have goosebumps right now. Just thinking you're sitting here with me today, Natasha, 
And you're right. God is sitting with us. And it amazes me after I've read your book and seen the grief that you have experienced in your life, which I think is more than most people have had to bear. The fact that you can still say that there's hope is amazing to me. So would you share a little bit of your personal journey with grief? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my grief story, which is still crazy, even when I um, speak about it and think about it, but it spans over 30 years and I'm, I'm 44. <laughs> so it's that's like over half of my life that I've been sitting with grief. Um, you know, my grief story includes miscarriage, stillbirth, the loss of basically half of my immediate family, two of my sisters, my dad, um, uh, the loss of career, and and the list goes on, you know. And so I spent a majority of that time stuffing the grief, hiding it, and really because I really felt like over in those years that no one cared to hear about it, which is so sad to me. And I know there's others that may be feeling like that now, but um, I like to say that 2020 was the pivotal point for me because literally the world was shut down and we couldn't hide from things. It's like, it was the time when I had to, um, I guess where I really came face to face with grief because the world to me felt like grief. Like everywhere you turn, you know, there was people dying on TV, whether it's from the pandemic or whether it was from um, racial violence and justice. It was a political year. So it was just so much going on in 2020. And it really reflected what I had been feeling on the inside. Like it felt like grief. It felt like death. And so um and during that time frame, too, as well, no one was really listening to, you know, people sharing how they felt like, you know, people were hurting, people were dying. So, you know, people were grieving just everywhere you turn. But it didn't seem like people were listening. And so I actually have wrote a piece like on Facebook or shared, um, can you just sit with me? Because it was really like a heart's cry for me. And it resonated with so many people because people weren't listening, you know, or if, you know, if someone was to say, you know, I'm hurt by this, I'm hurt by that comment that someone said, you know, there, it was more so met with um, a defensive type response. You know, people were, just weren't listening. So that um, can you just sit with me really was birthed out of 2020, even though I had all those years of just grief that I was dealing with, 2020 was that pivotal point where I couldn't hide from it. And I really put like, I guess, pen to paper, so to speak, and starting to write out this book. Well, and you shared your stories so beautifully uh, of the loss that you experienced. It was just easy to feel that across the page, but also to feel hope. And you're right. You know, I look back at 2020 and it was such a year of loss for so many people. Everyone lost something. Some lost something little, like your favorite place to eat for lunch and something. Some people lost something really big and significant, like their job or their home or their loved ones or their sense of trust in the world. And I completely agree. We were in a national shouting match where everyone is just arguing and screaming and trying to be keyboard warriors and listening was not happening. So I I think it's amazing how God used your story of pain to create a story of hope. And that is something that's not new. That's something that's not new to 2020. 
One of the things I really love about this book, so if you're listening, you should get a copy. It's very theologically rich and it's very psychologically practical. There were so many biblical examples. I mean, I felt like I was in a Bible study class because there were so many things that I learned. You talked about Abraham and Joseph and Israel grieving over the death of Moses. And you talked about even Jeremiah, which I did not know, Natasha, that he was known as the weeping prophet. And so talk to us about some of those biblical examples and how you know grief is, is not new to the world. Yes, I love, yeah, I love how you're just saying it's not new. Yeah, <laughs> there's nothing new under the sun. And I think, you know, we've come to this place where we know that grief is like the universal story of us all and we're all grieve at some point. But for some reason, our world and culture is like, it's like, it's foreign. It's foreign language. We don't have language for it. We don't know how to deal with it. We don't know what to do with it. And so we don't do anything with it. But um, and so it was important to me to find biblical examples of what we would consider our heroes and sheroes of the Bible to say they dealt with grief as well. And so we're, we're not alone and we can look to the Bible which is our, our our guide to life, we can look to God's word to say, I'm not alone. You know, Abraham grieved over his wife, Sarah. You know, Joseph grieved over his relationship with his brothers and um, his, his the death of his father, Jacob. Um, and just as you mentioned, Israel grieved over, over Moses. You know, Mo- Moses was the one who helped them through the pivotal, pivotal point of their being liberated from captivity and now he he died and so they grieved that and so i just thought it was so important to bring out those biblical examples to show us you know it is okay (laughs) to grieve I think about that too. You know, when I was researching the story of Joseph for a devotional that I wrote for my book, Behind Closed Doors, I was so struck by the verse that said he went into his private chambers to weep because when his brothers yeah. came back, it wasn't like, oh, well, he had healed and moved past that. And it was fine. Just something, he was triggered, you know, something prompted that fresh wave of grief. And that was just such a, a fresh lens for me. And one of, another thing that I love about your book is that you have a lot of really great charts in there. So my professor, Science Mind, was just loving those because you have a lot of ways that it's really easy to lay out the biblical application of grief. So you can flip through and there are pictures in the this book, y'all. You need to get this book because there's actually pictures in it that will help you understand grief too. And one of the things you know that I see is you're teaching me. I know you're teaching your children. And you told a really sweet story in the book about your five-year-old comforting you. So I would love for you to share that story personally with our listeners. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I was sitting at my desk and you can see, but the audience can't see, but I'm sitting in the classroom, our homeschool classroom, and I have a picture of my sisters on my desk. And so um, it was November 13th, my sister Sharon's birthday, and I just became overwhelmed, you know, that it was her birthday, and I was just thinking about her, and typically I would leave the room. Like I would leave the room to go and cry, get myself together, you know, pull pull myself together and just come back and continue on with life and whatever I'm doing. Um, but this that de- particular day, I couldn't I couldn't move fast enough. And so I literally I just started crying at my desk. And so my then five year old. Uh, this was 2020, by the way. <laughs> 
(laughs) (laughs) Of course. And so, but I was sitting sitting at my desk and my then five-year-old came and, you know, grabbed my arm, kind of wrapped her arms around my arm and was like, mom, what, you know, what's wrong, mama? And um, I told her, I said, well, it's my sister's birthday today. And I'm, and mommy's kind of sad because I won't, I can't spend it with her. And so I'm really sad about that. And she was just like, oh, it's okay, mama. And then the floodgates just really opened then because mm-hmm. it was almost like she was giving me permission to grieve. And so as, you know, as a grieving parent, you know, that moment is special to me because it does show that it's okay. And the crazy thing about it is, I don't know if I would have done it. Uh, it kind of just happened. You know, 2020 was just mm-hmm. a pivotal year of just so many things happening. But it, since it has happened, it has opened so much space for um, just to allow myself to grieve more openly in front of the kids and to have those be learning moments for them. I I think that's so instructive. And that's one of the reasons, honestly, Natasha, why I love working in pediatrics, because kids are capable of so much more than we think they are. They're perceptive to so much more than we think that they are. And I think a lot of times we think that we're protecting or shielding our kids from our emotions. But the truth is, they know. They know us very, very well. And it is their job to monitor our emotions because that's what regulates their psychological safety. And I think it's so much more healthy for us to process those emotions in front of them, just like you did. I'm sad. Here's what I'm doing, you know, about this. And you talked also in the book about, you know, we talked, we're talking now about modeling grief to your children, but looking at the other way and how your parents modeled grief and how that impacted your journey. Can we go that direction now and and explore that a little? Oh goodness. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's so important because we really take on um, or learn by seeing, you know, what, what, how, how we grew up, what was the environment like? So we learn from what was in our household, what our parents did, you know, our, our culture around us, and even what we may learn in the church um, if we grew up in the church. And so from my parents, um, I, I grieved the way they grieved, which was really not grieving. <laughs> in front openly and in front of us. And so I can remember um, just experiencing what we would call visitations. I'm not sure if people still Mm -hmm. use that word, but visitations when someone passes away, then there's, um, they would have what they call visitations. So family, friends drop by the house and they'll spend hours and hours just sitting, maybe talking about the deceased. But my, me and my sisters or um, younger you know, people, children will be in an adjacent room playing cards or listening to the radio or whatever. So it was like, you know, kids kind of separated from the adults as we talk about this thing of life and death and grief. And so it was kind of, um, kind of, that's how the, that's kind of how it was. It wasn't a teaching of, or learning about how to um, manage emotions or what grief was even like. And then really at just say when the funeral took place, that was more so the time where you're going to get all your emotions out. <laughs> so <laughs> after the funeral, then it's like, okay, you should be done now. Mm. And so that's kind of how it, you know, it was modeled for me. Um, 
And that's kind of what I did. And so it's like, you know, okay, I shouldn't feel sad about this anymore. You know, so let me tamp down these feelings that I'm having, which were, you know, it's normal. But I didn't know that. That's so instructive. And I would challenge those who are listening to think back in your childhood for just a moment and think about the times that you've experienced grief and how did your parents or caregivers process that? And has that impacted the way that you look at grief now? And we're all different, Natasha. That's the other thing, too, is that you know when I look at my four kids, when uh, my kids lost their great-grandfather, he was a World War II veteran, and my youngest son was about eight when he passed away, and he took it the hardest for no particular reason. I mean, there wasn't really anything um, about their bond that was closer, but he just took it harder, and he cried, you know, uh, periodically for a couple of years after that, he would just really have a hard time processing Mm -hmm. that. And so I think it's hard. We have to, we have to know grief. You talk about this in the book, that grief is not a linear process, that it comes and goes and waves and some messy back and forth sort of journey. So what advice would you have for parents who are trying to field questions from their kids about grief? Mm -hmm. Um, I think Exactly what you mentioned, um, as far as it being, it's not a one size fits all. You know, we grieve differently because we, you know, grief, our grieving process is just as different as our our fingerprints, you know. So um, just extending and and showing grace, um, sitting with them, I think is, and, and what I mean by that is, is literally giving them the space to express different emotions. There's an array of emotions that come with grief, whether it's anger, confusion, um, even shame, it's guilt. It's so many different emotions that can, can be brought up um, as we grieve. And so just making space for our kids to um, just allow them that space to express themselves um, and be open to even questions, you know, so many questions can be spurred from grief. Just so just allowing that grace and space to um, express themselves, to ask questions um, and no- let them know that it is normal and they're not crazy. It's grief. <laughs> <laughs> well, parents, I hope you're listening to this because so many of the answers to these questions are what I say are simple, but not easy. As parents, a lot of times we want to fix it. You know, we want to shut off that emotion. We want to protect them from any grief that they're having or, you know, fix the situation. And that's not what they need. And you, in the book, you also have, this is where I call it psychologically practical. You have a lot of grief exercises in there that are based on very well-grounded theory and psychology uh, to practically walk through in every chapter. There's a different grief exercise. And I love a Jumanji style healing adventure, you know, where you, are going to have to roll your sleeves up, get your hands dirty and, you know, really put in the effort and do the work. And some of these grief exercises, I know you didn't write this book specifically for parents, but I think they would be so great for parents to do. And especially for teens, there are a lot of them that would be great. So tell us, sell some of your favorites, Natasha, what are some of the the best ones? Mm -hmm. I love lament. I mean, this is one of my favorites because um, I don't know. Yeah, just to be honest, I really didn't know. I don't want to say I don't, didn't know about it, but I didn't um, as it relates yeah. to how it can be used, you know, and applied to 
just me personally and grieving. And so until and um, until I did the research for the book and, and just reading through Jeremiah and the Lamentations, I was like, oh my gosh, you know. So anyway, so Lament is um, one of my favorites and it's because it's kind of, it's real, very, very practical and and it's modeled in scripture. And so that's, that's why I really, really love it. We see... Um, um, King David using lament a lot in the Psalms. And so we can use him as an example of, of, of how it can be played out. But basically it's just taking all those emotions, which there are so many, and they, you know, it can be like a roller coaster of emotions, but it's taking all of our emotions and bringing them to the feet of Jesus, not really caring what they sound like, because sometimes I think as Christ followers, we can say, oh, I don't know if I could say that to Jesus, you know? And so lament is giving language to um, what's going on in the inside of us and in our mind and just having the freedom to kind of express that and, and bring it all to Jesus and bring it, bringing it to his feet and, and allowing him to sit with us in it. So I love lament because it kind of <laughs> you helps love us lament. to get it you over did you ever think that you get to a place in your life where you say, I love lament, but when you find, oh, I mean, it is kind of funny. It's like uh, my, uh, in my book, my kids tell me I have the gift of emotional enemas, therapeutic, but cleansing conversations. No one wants to have, but they feel better afterwards. Like, don't you want to invite me to every party ever <laughs> where we have lament here, but it is so when you find hope and healing, then you can love it. And I, I confess, Natasha, my favorite was the names of God. That was the one that really stood out to me and the okay. one that I pulled out to me first. So you want to give a little sneak preview of that one? Yes. Yes. So let me see. What the, What is the scripture? Um, it's in Psalms, but it's um, I always like to use the message version of it. And I can't remember the mm-hmm. specific chapter verse, but it's when my soul is in the dumps, I think of or I recall all the things that I know about you. And so this names of God just makes me think of that because when we, our soul is hurting, when we're grieving, um, just suffering in any kind of way, sometimes we can get like spiritual amnesia. Like we're like, oh, I don't even know who God is. What in the world, you know? And so this names of God just makes me, makes or helps us to come back to center and say, God, you are healer. You are the God of comfort, you know, um, you care for me. So it's, it's really just bringing us back center to say who God is, because um, that's what provides the hope. Like he is our hope. And so if, if we can focus on who God is, even in the midst of the darkness, then we're able to see some light. Well, I think those things are all really encouraging. And the the last thing that I want to talk to you about is specifically talking to parents who are walking children through grief, whether it's their own children or other children who are in their life, especially teenagers. Teenagers, actually, I teach my pediatric nurse practitioner students this, teenagers cope with death the the worst out of any age group, just because it's already such a time of emotional turmoil and their emotions are kind of difficult to control anyway. And their brain is changing so much in how they think. 
And you may have a teenager who is grieving death. We see suicide as the second leading cause of death. And so I know among my own children, you know, suicide deeply impacted them, especially my oldest daughter who even wrote her college essay about that. Or they may have lost a loved one, you know, much like you did, Natasha. But there are other forms of loss that kids grieve. So that could be a divorce um, or the you know loss of a of a marriage. Um, it could be uh, it could be something that one of the hard things is that it could be something that we don't see as parents as really that big of a deal. Like they lose a friendship, and maybe we even think like, hey, I'm kind of glad that you lost that, or but it's so big to them. And you have a quote in the book from Elizabeth Elliot saying, who of us in the worst pit we've ever been in needs anything as much as we need company. So I would like to take the last few minutes here, Natasha, to talk about parents sitting with their children in grief. That's, that's the whole title of your book. Can I just sit with you? How do parents sit with children in grief? Mm-hmm. That is, I love that quote. It's like one of my favorites. Um, but it, I, 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 believe that is simply in the sitting we have to make sure as parents that we're not inserting an opinion that we're not trying to i know it's true so yeah so not inserting opinion um that we're not trying to fix things but we're really you know we have to become better better, I don't want to say experts, but we have to become better listeners. Um, And so just providing that space, sitting with, it's really, it's it's been a good listener and it's it's been a good hand holder and just being there, you know, of course we can lend uh, our words if it's asked. But in those particular moments, I feel when, um, when our children are hurting, or um, during, like you said, that age group, a teenager, um, I feel like they just really want someone who will listen because we talk a lot to them as parents anyways. And I, I feel like, you know, that's our relationship is um, right now. And I could just think about with my teenagers. It is, you know, we chat about a lot of stuff most of the time anyways. And we have those um, two way conversations. But I feel like when they're when there is a heart issue, they just really want to be heard. It's so true. And, so and I, I think, think probably yeah. there's parents out there listening who are thinking, yeah, but can you give me a better answer than that? <laughs> because we want to do something and we want that immediate gratification. But I think, you know, from my perspective as in healthcare, parents underestimate the power of that supportive presence and really listening yeah. and feeling like they're heard. And, and I think too, you know, as, as Christians, a lot of times we tend to put stigma on grief or we tend to oversimplify yeah. it, you know, just like, and we say really awful things, you know, like if somebody dies, we say, oh, well, God must have needed another angel in heaven. Or exactly. we say, you know, like they're in a better off place. Aren't you glad? Or other horrible things yeah. when really listening would be so much better. So how do you feel it's like you know, that might tie into the stigma that we see sometimes in Christian culture about grief? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I talk a little bit about this in the book um, where at the onset of loss and grief, sometimes our hearts, it's not even at a place to receive a Bible verse. Mm. You know, it's 
because we're we're hurting um and we 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 haven't lost our faith. We know who Jesus is, but it's it's sometimes our hearts and our minds are what I call in the book flat-brained. It's like we really just can't process the way that we normally would. And so it's not really a time to tell me all your theology when I just lost my dad, you know, or or I just lost a child. I don't want to hear your theology. I just want someone, like, I just want a, your presence. I just want, um, you know, someone to just sit with me. And so it's kind of, you know, and thinking about, uh, I guess, going back to the stigma, um, trying to think how I'm co- going to connect the two with <laughs> sitting, <laughs> sitting with their, <laughs> sitting with their kids, yeah. and this, there's the stigma if you know if we grieve, you know, sometimes in the Christian community, if you're grieving too long or too loud or not following the normal grief rules, then, you know, you're hurting your Christian witness or you're, you don't have enough faith, you lack faith, those sort of things. Um, But I think as parents and just modeling and teaching our kids or supporting our, our, our kids who are grieving, we have to let them know that grief is normal. We have to let them know that, um, we're going to be there to support them. And then even if um, if a therapist or counselor is needed, provide mm-hmm. help to provide that as well. Well, this is the, one of the things I love about talking to other people, you know, because God has written this story on your heart, even long before you wrote it, uh, you know, took pen to paper and wrote it on the book. And, and I think, you know, just me reading your book through the lens that you provided and the lens of your experience, Honestly, Natasha, what I saw in stigma is that sometimes as parents, we don't want our kids to grieve because we don't want other people to judge them, you know, or, or other people to judge our parenting and shepherding them through that grief. Like, obviously, we're not being good parents because our kids are still grieving and it's over something that's perceived as small or dumb or they can't get it together. So obviously we're not helping them. And I find we have such a low tolerance for our kids having any kind of, um, you know, uh, complicated, messy emotions because we don't want that on display. And that's the stigma that's there. And it was really convicting to me. And I want you to know, I'm going to be very transparent here. I really was challenged to think back through my children's lives and think about the grief that they had experienced. And one of the questions that I'm going to ask, here's a spoiler alert, my conversation keys is to ask them how you shepherded that as a parent. And I'll tell you, there's some things that my kids grieved that I did not support very well, but it's never too late. You know, it's never too late to go back and to, to, to work on healing that, I don't think. Mm-hmm. That's so good because I mean, I, I mean, even as a griever, I'm, I believe I'm naturally more aware of it, and so um, I kind of sometimes help my husband to see that in in like if our kid is walking through something, and I say, well, let's let's do it this way, or let's ask this type of question because he he's not as. Uh, First, in in seeing like he's grieving, mm. like he's grieving this, you know, what may seem kind of minimal, you know, to just walking, you know what I mean? 
I do. I can relate to that because my husband's an engineer. So he tells my kids, I'm going to hurt your feelings. That's why I married your mom. So she (laughs) because it's going to happen. But you know, Natasha, I mean, we've had a lighthearted conversation here. We've had, we've laughed, which is so good. You know, laughter is such good medicine and healing for the soul. But, you know, I don't want to minimize or trivialize the grief journey that you have. I mean, you have experienced so many hard things and you do, you do go into that in the book. And I encourage all of my listeners to read this book. Even if you think, you know, I really haven't experienced that much grief because I looked back and I thought even of my own experience grieving the loss of the relationship with my parents, you know, I, I grieve that deeply and, you know, I'm, I'm still, still grieving that and still praying about that. And it's really hard, but the beginning, we started this out that you're all about hope and you still found hope in this. So what is the one word of encouragement you would give for parents to find hope and, and help for healthy relationships, even through the process of grieving? Mm-hmm. I always, always point back to Jesus. Um, because he is our hope. And so really just bringing um, all that we have in in need to the feet of Jesus. Um, that's where I have found just tremendous hope. That's that's really how I can explain it. It sounds so like simple, like really, but it's 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 a journey and it is something that you continue to walk out day to day, moment by moment. Sometimes you're like, what is what is this, you know? Um, but if, when we continue to really seek God and to lean in, into Him truly, um, there is a hope that rises up within us that's bigger than anything that we can uh, really think about or imagine, really. It's the hope that's in us. So Christ in us is, is really it's really bigger. And though we can sometimes we hold all the emotions, joy and grief at the same time, um, the hope of Christ um, in us, as long as we're reaching towards him kind of shines through. Oh, I love it. We couldn't end on a better note, really, because it's simple, but it's not easy. But there is hope in the yeah. simplicity of it. So just taking it all back to Jesus and uh, and just sitting with people in their grief and allowing them to grieve and have that emotion is just absolutely beautiful. Natasha, where can we find you? Yes, so you can find me across social, Facebook, Instagram, um, Twitter at I'm Natasha Smith, as well as at my website, I'm Natasha Smith.com. Well, the book is called, Can You Just Sit With Me? Healthy Grieving for the Losses of Life. And I, I'm telling you, I could not put this down. I have, I got an advanced copy, so it's coming out soon. Pre-order your copy, get your copy. It's a really great reference and resource to have. I think even if you're just, you know, dealing with something as simple as the loss of a pet or a friendship, or it's just practices those healthy ways of grieving. And even, you know, later on, if you experience something that is more serious, more heavy, you will have already put those spiritual disciplines in your life. Uh, Like I said, this book is, is biblically rich. It's It's theologically rich and it's psychologically practical. Thank you so much, Natasha, for sitting with us in this podcast and sharing your story. We are so deeply appreciative. Thank you so much, Jessica, for having me.
Okay, well, don't you just love her? I just absolutely love her heart, and it just came through so authentically and so relatably in this book, and it really challenged me to think about how grief had impacted my life. You know, I'm Gen X, and I grew up in the generation of suck it up philosophy of parenting, how we're just supposed to move on, and sometimes things just hurt, and stuffing them down isn't very good. So let's talk about conversation keys and transition where we talk about health impacts and home strategies to deal with grief. Maybe you are walking through a season of grief yourself. I'm telling you the best thing that you can do for your child is to seek your own healing journey. And when you invest in that healing relationship with the Lord, that is something that is going to be caught and not taught, and it is going to benefit your kids. So if you're walking through something that's really difficult and you're having trouble getting over it, you know, really think maybe it is time for grief counseling or some other professional resources that might help you on that journey. Maybe you're walking with your teen through something that's pretty heavy. Maybe it's a divorce or the loss of a loved one or a relationship, or maybe it's just something, you know, little, something small to you, you know, like changing schools or uh, losing a friendship that was important to them, but something that seems like it's their whole world. Let me give you just a few tips uh, before we close so that you can feel confident in going to manage this. First of all, we have to know that teens encounter grief from a place that is inherently emotionally complicated. You've got hormones going, you've got puberty going, and every emotion tends to be magnified. And just try to be their anchor and their calm in that storm. Your job is to help them be emotionally grounded and just to be a calm place, to let them have that expression of emotion, whether it's anger or whether it's just profound mourning. Just let it out and just sit there with them in that space. Don't try to manage it or shut it down or talk through it. Just sit down with them in that space. I'm telling you, there's been times where, you know, my kid may be just laying on the floor crying and I'll just lay down on the floor very calmly right next to them. Just let them know I'm there. That goes a long way. Second, remember that every teen grieves differently. So your kids may experience the same kind of loss, but each be grieving differently. And sometimes that can be hard for them and it may make some sibling rivalry. One of your kids may say, hey, I'm angry with you because it doesn't seem like you care. And the other teen may think, hey, I'm angry with you because your grief is disrupting our family life and you can't control your emotions and I just want to move on because I don't want to think about it. You need to make sure that you set boundaries that allows that grace and space to grieve differently. Third, encourage healthy grieving. And a lot of times teens process this best with friends. So we want to be the person that's there for them. But sometimes friends, they just feel like they can relate to and it gives them a little more sense of normalcy. So if your teen is grieving, invite friends over that you know are important to them and just tell them to come on over. Plan a pizza party. Plan you know, a, a night where they're watching a movie or that they're going to go for a swim or that they're just going to come and hang out. Invite your their friends into that grieving space with them. Fourth, remember that grief is not a linear process. It You might think that everything is going well and then 
a trigger may happen in the first year after grieving a loss. You know, you may have, you're going to have a lot of milestones that are difficult to go through. So just accept that that can be back and forth and messy. And just because you have a setback doesn't mean that there's something really wrong there. Fifth, use the love your teen model that I have for you in behind closed doors to initiate conversation. And you'll hear Natasha say over and over again, listen, listen, listen. And that's what love starts with. Listen, listen with your face, offer open-ended questions, validate their emotions, and then explore next steps together. What support do you need to grieve in this time? Six, be open with your expectations and just accept their reactions. Don't project your understanding of the situation to their experience of grief. So just know that, you know, maybe you don't understand everything that's going on. Maybe there's something about the situation. They haven't told you everything yet and they need to feel emotionally safe to open up. Seventh, help them think of positive ways to honor that person's memory or the memory of that relationship or the loss, whatever it may be. If it's a family member, if it's a friendship, if it's a school, if it's a pet, whatever it is that they are grieving, maybe it's their, maybe they've been diagnosed with a chronic illness and they're grieving the loss of their life before they were, you know, on medication all the time and always having to manage their illness. So think about what are positive ways that you can help manage that grief or honor that life that you had before that. Is there a scrapbook that you can make? Is there a trip that you can take? Is there a video that you can create? Is there a family gathering that you could organize? Teens love to be involved in the planning of things like this. So give them some autonomy and some power to act in a positive way. Eighth, help teens evaluate their uh, self-evaluate their social media. So social media can be really helpful in grieving, but it can also be really harmful if they're constantly spending time on their phone or they're not interacting with other people or they're constantly seeing tragic things replayed. That's important. And ninth, teens can experience PTSD even if they weren't present when a death occurred or when a harmful loss occurred. So be really thoughtful when you're thinking about, especially on social media, that visual imagery or trauma dumping that might be happening. Now, trauma dumping happens when one person shares something bad that happened to them. So your teen may not be experiencing grief, but they have a friend who is. And then all of a sudden they tell you this really tragic, awful story. And usually when someone is grieving, they're not asking permission to share that. And so there's no easy way to opt out of the conversation. Now, this is not the same thing as seeking support from loved ones or grieving in a trusted relationship. People, and especially teens, should be able to share authentically and feel accepted and supported. And that can be very validating and healing. And the, but the other side of that coin is that trauma dumping makes the giver feel better, but it makes the receiver feel depressed. So encourage your teens who are grieving if they're going through something really tough. Teach them to ask their friends for permission to share. Just say, hey, I'd like to share something that I experienced, a loss that I experienced, but it's pretty heavy or intense. Would that be okay for me to share that with you or would that be too much for you right now? And if someone is repeatedly sharing their trauma with your child and sharing their loss, 
that's a sign that they may need professional help. And you can empower your kids to stop that conversation that's going too far by saying something like, you know, I'm really not comfortable talking about this experience right now, but I I do care about you. Let me help you connect to a source of hope. And the last thing is to know when to ask for help. So that's really important. When you see, uh, when you see kids who are not able to go through their activities of daily living, they are having trouble getting out of bed. They're not showering. They're not bathing. They're not doing well in school. They're not engaging in their normal activities. Those are all signs that they may need professional counseling, professional grief counseling, or some mental health therapy. And so don't be afraid to reach out to that parent or to be that parent. Lastly, your conversation keys are as follows. Ask your kids, what experiences have you seen me go through that were really sad? What life experiences have you had that made you the most sad? How do you feel about how I supported you in those experiences? And then I challenge you to choose one of Natasha's grief exercises in her book to do together. Try it out. Let me know how it goes. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast, serving as your expert guide on the side to engage, equip, encourage, and empower you to navigate life's toughest issues with your teens. Tune in next week as we explore faith-based health impacts and home strategies to create a safe space in an unsafe world. Together, we'll find hope for healthy relationships. Connect with us online at drnursemama.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Nurse Mama. We'll see you here next week on American Family Radio.